Our text is in John chapter 12. Uh, uh, nice thing about being a pastor, you can change some things. Instead of what might be listed in your bulletin as the text, it is in John 12, but I'm going to start down at verse 20. And, and then also, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. That's going to be the other verse. It's a short verse, but uh, I'm going to uh, just kind of hone in on those two passages today as we look at a sermon that I have titled, uh, The Great Cause. The Great Cause. And here it is at Christmas time. We have so many causes that are out there that people have. Oh, you've got to give to this, you've got to give to that, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And, and mostly they are pretty good causes. Uh, but the great cause is 2,000 years ago. And uh, we'll see that as we progress in the service today. But now down here, John chapter 12 and verse 20, it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. Now the feast was the Passover feast that it's talking about. They were coming there for that. And, and so uh, they came to worship at the feast. And the same came, uh, and, and the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethesda of Galilee, and desiring him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. One thing I like about Andrew in there, not because he has my name, but <laughs> I like Andrew because he's always taking people to Jesus. You know, he takes people to Jesus, and that's great. And usually you don't have people come to you and just say, I want to see Jesus. I want to know him. We just, uh, usually we have to go to them. These came to these guys. Well, and Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Uh, by the way, he's talking about the cross. And he called it glory. That's something. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Oh, yes. Jesus died, was buried in that tomb. He came out of that tomb, and much fruit has been produced from that ever since. The fruit of souls coming from the depths of death, eternity, in eternity to the depths, the high mountains of salvation in heaven. What a great change that is. And that's what that fruit bore that day. Verse 25 says, He that loveth life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Now, actually, verse 27 and 28 are the two verses I had as my 
text. Now, this is Jesus continuing now. He says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus knowing the cross is going to be right there. He knows what the, all the sin, something he never knew, will be placed upon him. The non-guilty would be the sin bearer for all the sin for all time. The thing that was abominable that he detested. And he's asking the Father to glorify. To glorify the Father. Help him to glorify the Father. And he's going to be the one taking it. When the Father pours out his almighty, omnipotent wrath upon his human soul and spirit. So with that thought, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get started into the message today. Lord, in a moment we're going to try to preach your word, Lord, and just having thought of that verse and then although we did not read Matthew 18, 11 just now, we will be reading it, Lord, but we know that you said your purpose was to come to save that which was lost. And so, Lord, when I think of all of those things that you did for us just to save us, oh, what love, oh, what a price, and oh, what utter ignorance to reject him and to reject the only true salvation that they can have. So, Lord, I pray that through this message today that thy very spirit would work and do a work in each heart, not only here in this auditorium, but those listening by radio and those watching by live stream. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Well, it was about 30 years ago, it was 30 years ago, this Christmas, that uh, we children of my dad and mom, uh, we gathered at their home for a gift exchange night. Y'all do that, you know, you get together, the family gets together and you exchange gifts. You do that to your adult kids uh, at times. And the thing that was different about this is that mom now lay in a bed. She is dying with cancer. And she could not get out and come to where we were in the living rooms and things like that. She just couldn't do that. Uh, in the past, when you went to their house, boy, she had it decorated. And the food she made, boy, we ate. We really ate. I think that's one of the things I miss most, as a matter of fact. Uh, we ate very well. But family by family, I, we just, uh, you know, we went with the oldest and then just worked our way down. But family by family, 
would go in, the husband, the wife, their children. And a lot of us, most of us, our children were already adults. We'd walk into the room where mom was in that bed, family by family, and spend time and just talk to her, and she'd talk to us. She couldn't say a whole lot. Her mind was good, but her body and her voice was kind of broken down. And she wanted this. She gave each adult child and each of her adult children, she gave us each for a Christmas gift, $100. I mean, she gave us each $100. And I would watch as my brothers and their family would walk out, they'd all be in tears. And we were the same way when I walked out. Because you know, this is going to be the last Christmas with her on, on earth. And she would die the next year, the day after Mother's Day on May 11th. We knew, as a matter of fact, one of the things I remember is that I, I can say this, uh, and, and really, uh, it hurt at the moment, but my mom was dying. We, she actually lasted a day or two longer than they said she would last uh, after they said she's getting ready to go. And on that Saturday, I got a letter that was the worst letter I've ever had in my entire ministry, just telling me how low down and no good I was and everything. I mean, just really went after me. And you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Boy, what a time to get a letter like that. Because usually you get a letter like that, you say, okay, I'm going to go over there and, and just uh, mop the floor with those people. <laughs> you know? But instead... It's just kind of a, that poor guy, you know, that, that poor guy. See, there was things far more important than what they wrote in that letter. And so I got that Saturday, and on that Monday she went to be with the Lord. But I remember as, uh, I walked out of the room with my family. I walked over to my dad, and I said, Dad, boy, that's something. Every child, every one of us. That, that is something, $100. I said, that's something. He said, you know, your mother's been wanting to do that for a few years. And, of course, knowing now, she says, I went ahead and let her do it. But I did try to talk her out of it. <laughs> I, you know, we all had tears because we knew it was the last Christmas. Dad had tears. He saw that money going out the door, you know. Uh, but uh, I, I think, though, that uh, we'll, we'll all, all of us will remember that Christmas that was there and just knowing that uh, what was coming up, and she actually lasted longer. As a matter of fact, I told people, doctors told us, and at the same time, this, I, one of the reasons I mentioned Brother Potter today, uh, his wife and my mother were, were uh, diagnosed with it, and that was, I think it was three to six months. The Lord healed his wife. I went into the hospital room and prayed with his wife. I went in to pray the same prayer with my mother, and I meant it just as much for both of them. God chose and kept his wife here about another 20 years. My mother, the Lord took on home, is, is, it was longer than just three to six months. It was about nine months. She'd been a whole lot better off with all the pain she went through in three months. But you know what? She got the best end of the deal. 
She got to see the Lord a lot earlier than Shelby did. But uh, it was good for Terry to have her here. It was very good. And, and I understand that so completely. But those, the things of, of Christmas past that I would think of that just stand out in my mind as I was looking at this this year. And, you know, uh, I think that back there in 2018 when Dad went to be with the Lord, that that was the first thing they discussed about all that money she gave away, you know. But uh, I don't know that first fact, but uh, I kind of wonder if that uh, w went on there. But uh, I imagine, though, the great thing was uh, Dad got there, saw my mother, saw my brother, his son, David, saw their parents and their siblings that were up there that knew the Lord as Savior, And I think that there was some rejoicing going on with meeting some people that they had led to the Lord in their ministries. Rejoicing with the people that led them to the Lord in their ministry. And so when you look at all of that and you see what happened there, uh, in that, I, I think the greatest thrill, though, was seeing the face of Jesus for the first time in his glorified body. Oh, I tell you, that was it. And well, you know, that last Christmas, one thing I can tell you, it was hard, but we all knew. We weren't saying goodbye. We were saying, see you later. And we will. Now, as we look at our text, I want, uh, let's go... Uh, to Matthew 18, 11 first, since I didn't read that. But there it says, For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. In a nutshell, that's the great cause. The great cause. He came to save that which was lost. In the early centuries, going back to and this is after the death of Christ and then his death, burial, and resurrection. The apostles were writing New Testament scriptures. And then they wanted to put to death those people that were being used to write those scriptures. And then the Waldessians got up there in the mountains there around Waldessia there in Italy. They found them making copies they had been in big trouble but they hid in caves and they'd make handwritten copies of the all those copies that had been early copies had been made and uh, some even original copies and they'd make handwritten copies of the word of God on what was called papyrus uh, Many versions have left out Matthew 18, 11. Many of these newer versions. Well, some put it in parenthesis and says uh, this should not be in there. It's not in most all of the good texts. But really, 
in each case they do that. What they mean it isn't in their text because they use corrupted text. They don't use the text from which you have your King James Bible. They would take those pages after they would be writing them down and they would count word for word, get to the middle word, and they would check that first and see if it agreed on their other page they just copied. Now, on paper, I wouldn't want to copy it down and do that. But in their situation, in their situation, papyrus, they got down and they seen there was a mistake. They threw it away and started all over. Because they believed in the accuracy should be exactly right of the Word of God. Uh, and so that's how they would check it. And they would get it out. They'd check one another. And those Word of God were produced like that, making those copies. And yet if they got caught, they'd be put to death. Now there were other copies being made at that same time as well by educated slaves in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, these slaves worked in the libraries of Alexandria. And they would make copies. But these slaves were not Christians. Many were of a Greek religion. And so at times in making these copies, now it was better for them to do that because if they don't do that, then they're out doing hard labor. And I don't think any slave, whether he's educated or uneducated, would want to be out in hard labor. So they are doing that. But when something went against their religion, they made some changes. They made other things in there. And so that came along. They didn't like it. It was changed. And it was uh, what we call corrupted, corrupted manuscripts. Let me say this. Your King James Bible comes from what we call the Textus Receptus. Their manuscripts out of the Alexandrian text even Rome used those texts and helped with their Botanicus. As a matter of fact, when they were putting together these new texts, they found out that as they went through Europe looking for texts, they would go into these old monasteries. Some of the men, some of the monasteries, they were using these texts for fire. To help start fires when it would be cold. Because they rejected them as well. Most, most Christians, most Bible-believing Christians held to what we call the Textus Receptus for the New Testament and the Masoretic for the Old Testament. They held to it all the way back then. The, new, the, the ones of uh, the King James Version there are over uh, 5,400 sets of manuscripts. They have what we call 95% agreement. You say, what is 95% agreement? Well, let's just say that I asked you to copy John chapter uh, 10, word for word. Everybody do that, and you have, you're given a copy of paper. And we go through and read everybody's copy. We do like they did, count to the middle word or count just down through and make sure it's word for word match. And there's one word that out of 100 people, 5% of you got wrong. The other 95 got it right. Now, what we imagine, 
that there was 95% uh, getting it right. Wouldn't you imagine that is the word that's supposed to be there? They may have changed the word to something else. Don't you think it should be there? I mean, those old texts they took out through his blood in Colossians chapter 1.14 for forgiveness of sins. And I find it interesting as well because, as I said, King James has that. And they, we read this. The reason that that came about is that uh, Satan hates God. He hates God. Uh, we read in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, using the little g for God, uh, it starts out by saying this, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid from those that are lost. The verse before that, that was one I wanted to look at, <laughs> I missed it, uh, because it has it right. But the God of this world, who is Satan, by the way, the God of this world corrupts the Bible. Uh, it says, The God of this world hath blinded the mind of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. See, that's what happened in the garden. God had already told Adam and Eve what not to do. What's the first thing that Satan do? The first thing is, hath God said? God doesn't, no, God doesn't want you to be on his level. What do they do? They're questioning the word of God. They're putting doubt on the word of God. I know better. This is going to be good for you. This is going to be great. However, the result didn't happen. Actually, the two men that were mainly ones behind this were back in 1881 that they started this hunt. Is it interesting? that the people that helped them with this had to swear to their death, if need be, that they would not share what they were doing because they knew that the people in charge that went by the right Bible would deathly stop it and have the government, because they started in England where the government was uh, there. And look, for those thousands of years, uh, those hundreds of years since those things were written, they all use what we use today. Now, it wasn't a King James Bible, of course, because it wasn't translated yet. But it was translated, the King James, from those right manuscripts and made right. And so, after the translation from those Alexandrian manuscripts that were hit by two men, they made a couple false statements. Now, you'll hear critical texts, Alexandrian texts, they're the same thing. Okay, they're the same thing. But uh, when you look at it, they made two false statements. One, they said there was only a half a page difference in the scripts between their Alexandrian critical text and the Texas Receptus and Masoretic text. They got the half right, but it's actually 42 and a half. They said just half a page. The bigger lie, I think, is they said they left nothing out of any doctrinal significance. That's why I had Matthew 18 and 11. The Son of Man came to save that which was lost. Do you believe that's significant? 
You know, if that's not significant, why are we celebrating Christmas? You know, I mean, that's what it's all about. Uh, in our text, back now in John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus is speaking. It's getting right there near time for the cross. In a couple of days, he'll be dead. And he says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. This is the reason I'm here. In his humanity, the soul of his humanity is completely troubled. He who knew no sin would have all sin of all time placed upon him, including mine, including yours, even though we were not alive at the moment. Every sin you would ever commit would be placed upon him. When Jesus died, was buried, he rose from the dead and ascended up into heaven and applied that blood at the mercy seat of heaven. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 tells us, And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. It was the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Don't let anybody tell you any differently. Knowing for what he came to do. He existed from eternity past. But he despised the cross. But for the joy set before him, he endured it. But it wasn't fun. Not at all. And so... He would bear our sins. Isaiah 53, verses 10 and 11. Understand the Father. I, I told you last week of how the Father and Son in His ministry would think, commune, and you'd think it's like as the Son. Even here, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You know, it's just talk to the Son, just like you would with your own sons. But now, The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, talking about the very cross. While Christ is on the cross, it pleased the Lord, speaking of the Father, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Coming off that cross, it bruised his heel, but boy, he put that heel right smack dab on the head of Satan. But oh, it pleased the Lord. Why? Because the Father, God's attitude about sin did not change even when it was His only begotten Son. And yet, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were in complete agreement. This is the only way the sin of mankind could be paid. And he willingly took it on. 
Jesus' testimony in Matthew 18 11 was the Son of Man, speaking of Himself, is come to save that which is lost, purpose and a cause. And He fulfilled them both. You read the book of John that we, our text comes from. Several times in that book you'll find out they were wanting to kill him, but it says, but his hour was not come. He would pass through the midst of them. In the middle of a crowd, he could pass through the midst of them. It wasn't the time. In John chapter 13, verse 1, it's that last supper. They'll have the supper. He'll go to the garden. The soldiers will come and take him, and the next day he'll be crucified. And so, as they're gathered there in verse 1, John 13, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. When you receive Christ, He'll never stop loving you. See, this is the great cause. This is in line with John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave. Remember? Christmas time. It's when He gave Him to this world. But is that what we call Easter? The Passover that He became the Passover Lamb for our sin. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He'll say in John 10, life more abundantly. You know, without this understanding, if you don't understand that, Christmas is only a holiday and a time for families to get together and just have fun. That's all it is without that understanding. This is what the virgin birth shows the purpose that is there. He would come to be born of a virgin. Boy, what a difference that was. Adam, the first Adam, was formed out of the dust of the ground. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, a spirit put in him. But he would be tempted and he would give in. And he would sin, and his progeny would be born with that sin nature. Jesus Christ was formed when first the Holy Spirit of God, the very Spirit of God, came upon Mary and formed the seed within her, followed by the Father over the next nine months forming that baby, and then as Psalms 22, He drew Him out of the womb. Gave Him hope upon His mother's breast. 
this sacrifice would also be tempted in all points like as we are without, but without sin. He would not sin one time. He came in the fullness of time. Galatians tells us. Do you realize when it says He came in the fullness of time, He's also talking about not only when it was time to come, but He's also talking about the fullness of iniquity in this world. This world is bad now, and it's a time to think, maybe it's today that He'll come. In the fullness of time, when sin was at its worst in this world, He came with a great cause and a purpose to save our souls. That's what it was all about. John 17, verses 1 and 2, they've been to the Last Supper, and then they've walked on over to Gethsemane. And as His disciples are aside there, what we call His high priestly prayer in John 17, Because the Roman soldiers, he knows, is they're on their way. They're going to arrest him, and the next day he's going to be crucified. And the Father will pour out his almighty wrath upon his human spirit. So, and so in John 17, 1, he says, These words spake Jesus. And lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. Jesus is in full despise of what's coming. Because my sin and your sin has been placed upon him. He despises it. If you ever read the 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, you see some of the worst sins that you can imagine. That church was filled with those people that got saved. He'll save you if you'll come to him in repentance and faith. He says, As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. The purpose, the cause. Then in John 12, 28, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. Did that happen? Every soul that's been saved since that day, every soul from the Old Testament that was looking forward to that sacrifice that would come for them, every soul saved by that day has glorified God. That's why I told you a little bit about our Christmas 30 years ago because we have a sure hope. With the resurrection, He provides the gift of eternal life 
to all who will receive it through repentance and faith. That's why he says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, he was God. Jesus, he came to this earth, born of a virgin, formed by the Father, the seed formed by the Spirit first, and then the Father doing his work, drawn out by God, doing that for us. Oh, God loves us. He came. The Lord came. Became Jesus. A man with a human body, a human spirit, human soul. And yes, man could do a lot of things to his body. And yet Jesus had the power to take it up again, but he didn't because of his love. The greatest suffering of the cross was that poured out of wrath of the Father upon the Son, human body and soul, spirit. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, that's a gift that money nor good works can buy salvation and eternal life. If you're depending to appear before God one day and say, man, I've done the best I can. I've been a good person. I've gone to church. I've been baptized. I've been this. I've been that. And you did not come to Him in repentance and faith. I can tell you by the authority of God's Word that hell is your destiny unless you receive Him as your Lord and Savior. I don't hear this too much today, but I can remember as a youngster. I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid and teenager, sometimes you'd hear this, this excuse. I did. I, I actually heard this when I was a teenager. I don't want to give up my life right now. I got too much to live for right now. I want to get saved, but I'll do that later. At least I give it to them. They knew they needed to repent and believe. They knew they couldn't cleanse their sin. They needed a Savior. Anytime you put the opportunity off, you're playing Russian roulette with your soul. God became a man that each of us could escape the wrath to come. Saving us from sin, its penalty, its power, and eternity in a lake of fire where it could never cease to exist or escape. He gave his life for your life, for my life, for all of us. Consider this. You may want everyone in your family saved. You may want the family circle to be unbroken in that day when we all arrive up there but you're not sure you're saved yourself, the first step may be for you to accept, and it is for you to accept the Lord and Savior into your heart and life as your God and Savior, to save your soul, to forgive you of your sins, and to cleanse you. And starting today, if you're already saved, 
And you don't want that family circle unbroken. That go all out more than you've ever gone out before. You may have a son, you may have a daughter, you may have a father, a mother, a brother or a sister, a spouse. That you're not sure they're saved. I don't want to chase them away. If they're headed to hell, you can't chase them any further than that. You need to catch them and bring them back. Bring them to the Lord. If you're not saved, you get it, and then you take it to others. Just like the woman at the well, she'd had five husbands. A man she was living with was not her husband. But boy, she got saved that moment. What she do? She goes back in town, tells everybody else, come here, this man, Jesus. Some of them got saved because she told them about them, and they believed the testimony and got saved. Others, wouldn't, they wouldn't go to hear that because of her, but when they heard it, they got saved. They told her, we're not here because of you. We're here because he saved us. Either way, they get saved. Oh, the circle is then unbroken. He had a great cause and a great purpose. But it's up to us, first, to receive it, and then secondly, to act upon it. That little corn that fell on the ground and produced fruit, He wants to produce that through you and me as Christians. Is He? Are we allowing it? He doesn't force it. Are we allowing Him to work through us? to reach the lost and dying world. Let's bow our heads, please.